Hello and welcome to the latest Lancet podcast. Richard Lane with you on Friday, November the 14th. This week we're discussing perinatal mental health tied to a three-part series in the November 15th issue of The Lancet. In a minute I'll be talking to Alan Stein who is Professor of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry at the University of Oxford. He is also one of the authors of a comment and one of the authors of one of the series papers in the issue. The series covers non-psychotic mental disorders in the perinatal period. The second paper looks at bipolar disorder, affective psychosis and schizophrenia in pregnancy and the postpartum period. And the third paper in the series looks at the effects of perinatal disorders on the fetus and child. But let's now hear from Professor Stein, who, as I say, is one of the authors of a comment to accompany the series and also an author on series paper three, the effect of mental disorders on the fetus and child. Professor Alan Stein, many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet. Let's just kick off with some context here. How common are perinatal mental disorders and how do they vary? Because most of the awareness around this seems to concern postnatal depression, but that is only one part of it. So to give us some context. Thank you very much. All types of mental health disorders can occur during pregnancy and the postnatal period, including, for example, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, and a range of psychoses. The rates are generally comparable to rates of disorders at other times, but because of the potential impact on the fetus, the child and the family, perinatal disorders are particularly important. I guess estimates suggest that about 10% of pregnancies and postnatal periods are affected. And as you point out, depression is the most researched of these topics. And interestingly, the evidence suggests that this rate is probably considerably higher for depression in lower middle income countries. The one disorder that is more common postnatally than at other times is psychosis. We know that childbirth can trigger mania and psychosis. It is still very rare and occurs in about one to two per thousand pregnancies. Thank you very much. A key question unique to this setting, of course, is the relationship, if there is a relationship, perhaps you could, you could tell us, between therapy for mental health problems in the mother and the effect on the unborn fetus and obviously the child once it's born and its later development. What do we know about that? I think for the individual, um, it, needs, it needs a conversation between the mother and the clinician to balance the risks and to decide on the best course. Medication are usually only considered if they carry a low risk of effects to the developing fetus or have fairly minimal effects um, in terms of transfer through breast milk. But all of this needs to be balanced against not properly treating the illness. If mental illness remains untreated, there is an increased risk of a range of problems to the child, including emotional, behavior, and cognitive problems, and in lower middle income countries, even growth. Um, Common disorders such as depression and anxiety um, usually respond well to psychological methods, so using medication is not necessarily an issue, so the psychological methods we're talking about are things like cognitive behavior therapy. One should also, though, emphasize that adverse effects on, on the fetus and the child are by no means inevitable, and the effects depend on a range of genetic and environmental factors and other biological factors for that matter. I should say there are two very important modifiable factors, and that's where we should, should be thinking about. And the first is the length of the, of the disorder. So the disorders need to be actively treated to shorten the disorder. And the second, that if in the case where parenting is affected by the disorder, we can intervene and help parents and mothers and fathers with their parenting difficulties. A key message here is awareness and detecting the mental health problem as early as possible. So that could be through antenatal clinics, it could be through primary care. Absolutely. I think screening is very important. In the United Kingdom, NICE mandates that mothers get screened 
settled period for depression, but I think we need to be aware of other disorders and aware of people with a history especially. But uh, detecting during pregnancy is also very, very important. This issue of parenting is interesting because, of course, we always focus on the mother quite naturally, who's carrying the child and giving birth and mothering the child when it is born. Depression can also affect the other parent, the father. What evidence is there here for paternal depression and, and the impact that can have on a child? Yes, absolutely. Depression in fathers, well, mental illness in fathers occurs um, in a perinatal period just as it does in mothers. And interestingly, depression occurs probably much more commonly than we originally thought, not as often as for mothers, but it certainly does occur. And there is now mounting evidence that depression in fathers is also related to increased emotional and probably more likely behavioral difficulties in the children. Again, not inevitable, but certainly those risks are increased. But I have to say to date that fathers are are much less studied, but they are important. But one very important way of showing fathers' importance is the relevance of social support and particularly support by the father to the mother in terms of helping her with the child and in basically minimizing any negative effect to the child if the mother has a problem. And we also need to include other carers in this. In some families, fathers aren't present. And we need to think that we need to know that other carers play a very crucial role in helping the mother, especially if she's having difficulties. What about uh, issues of cost on health services? You touched on this uh, in the comment that accompanies the series. I mean, that's terribly important, isn't it? Because it's the usual argument about investing money in the health services to prevent or certainly to tackle mental health problems very early on rather than deal with the expensive consequences later. Yes, that that is important. In fact, it's quite timely that there's been a recent study from the London School of Economics, which indicates the costs of untreated perinatal mental health problems to society in the long term is about eight billion pounds per year, whereas obviously the cost of treatment would be far less. This means that in terms of cost benefit, it is going to be better to spend the money on early treatment to prevent the cycle continuing to the next generation. But of course, we shouldn't underestimate the human costs, not just health outcomes, but overall quality of life for the developing child, the family, including social, occupational and educational opportunities. And in terms of the Lancet three-part series, your comment obviously is reflecting more generally and broadly on this issue of uh, perinatal mental health. There are three papers here. Could you just pull out a few highlights or or a few key messages from the series that clinicians need to take forward? Yes. From right in the series, we found that mental health conditions are common and they're as common as at other times, but in the perinatal period, it involves the whole family and the health of the mother is very closely linked to the health and functioning of a fetus and child. So that makes the perinatal period a time we need to be very, very um, aware of. So by helping the mother, you play a key role in giving the child a good start and in preventing future risk, if there is any, in an individual child to the next generation. In low middle income countries, disorders are at least as common and in the case of depression, probably more common but resources and access to services are scarce. So for many conditions, we have to think of other alternatives. And there is now good evidence that what we call lay counselors can help, especially with the common conditions such as depression and anxiety. As far as mechanisms are concerned, our review suggests that we now really begin to understand the complex interplay of genetic, other biological and environmental mechanisms involved in the associations between perinatal mental health and child outcome. But a lot more needs to be done. I think one should also reflect on the fact that mental health can affect physical health. And a good example is that of HIV. Up to 20 to 30% of young women in parts of sub-Saharan Africa are HIV positive. 
If you're HIV positive, you need to take antiretroviral medication. Antiretroviral medication has two effects for the pregnant woman. First, it is important for her own health in terms of her survival, but critically, it also stops the transmission of the virus to the fetus. So many women are also depressed during pregnancy if they have HIV. If you're depressed, you're actually much less likely to take your medication. If you don't take your medication, it'll have an impact on you and your fetus. Finally, I think it's important to say that effective treatments are available for postnatal depression, but we need much more research into treatments for other disorders and then how to minimize any impact on the child. And in low-middle-income countries, we really need to think of more innovative strategies. And perhaps just one concluding comment. I think we need to remember that families are resilient and most children do well. We shouldn't end on a negative note. The effects are not inevitable and most families actually do well in the face of quite a lot of adversity. Professor Allenstein, it's been a pleasure talking to you. You're the author of a comment linked to our three-part series in The Lancet on perinatal mental health. Many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet. Thank you very much. Many thanks to Allenstein and to you all for listening. See you next time.